Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of College Hockey Talk. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Junior from the Yale women's hockey team, Al Harchi. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Al, and how's everything going? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, things are looking up because we just finished finals, so I'm excited to be back home and get a few days break. Yeah, obviously, I feel the same way as well. Um, it's nice just to reset your mind before heading into the second half of the season. Yeah, a good little reset, pause, yep. Now, your team's obviously entering the second half of the season as a top-five team in the country. Um, how would you evaluate your team's performance as of now? Yeah, obviously, going into the break, third in the country is uh can't complain about that. Obviously, pretty successful first half. I think it's the best that we the best standing we've ever been in going into the second half. So we're just looking to build off of that. But so far, so good. Yeah, and how do you handle the pressure of being a ranked team? And what's the key for maintaining that consistency throughout the regular season? Because last year, it felt like there wasn't a lot of pressure on you guys because not a lot of people expected you to have the success that you're having. But I feel like this year it's a little bit different because people are expecting that you should be a top five team in the country. Yeah, well, last year, our big... Uh, kind of talk around the rink was that no one believed in us and no one thought we could be there. So it's definitely a different vibe last year of like, we're going to prove everyone wrong. But I think we still kind of have that mindset this year. Um, you know, like we hear talk from everyone, various forums, whatever, about, oh, like, how is Yale there? I don't know. We, we still hear the doubters um, and that definitely fuels us. But it also does help consistency wise that, you know, we've been in this situation before. We obviously last year had a great season and made the Frozen Four, so most of us are no strangers to the pressure. Uh, we have a pretty old team, too, obviously some great newcomers, but our leadership from the top down is pretty great, and that experience has been critical to, like, not really – we don't feel too much pressure. We just go into the games knowing that we're good. Yeah, and obviously I want to know who's uh, doubting Yale after what you guys have done so far. That makes no sense to me. I'm not one of those people. I would like to right, point thanks. that out. Um, I don't know. I just think maybe no one even is, but it definitely helps us fuel our fire. And still, we still want that mantra of proving the haters wrong. So, (laughs) yeah, I remember watching the Michael Jordan documentary and he would make up stories about people like hating on him just so he can motivate him for games. So I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Now talk about what it's like playing in the ECAC because that's a, I feel like the conference has been really successful this year. I feel like everyone knows, I think people, a lot of people think that WCHA is the best conference in women's college hockey, but it seems like uh, recently the ECAC has given it a run for its money just because of all the depth that that's, that's in that conference. Like I was just looking at the teams, like there's going to be two or three teams that won't make the tournament this year that probably should make it based on the talent that they have. So I'm curious what it's like being in the ECAC and just the competition that you face every weekend. Yeah, um, the ECAC is deep top to bottom. So going into every weekend, you know it's going to be a battle. And I think that what makes the league so hard is that every single day you have to bring your best because you're going to get other teams' best. And one could be anyone in the ECAC on any given day. There's no, like, real outliers um, feel-wise. So – Preparing week after week for big battles on the weekend is definitely um, kind of grueling, but also fun that you know you're going to get good tests every weekend. Yeah, and obviously you guys had some non-conference tests as well this year. Your team went out to Vegas and beat Boston University in Minnesota. Um, just talk about that experience, one, being in Vegas, but also getting those two big wins for your team to help improve your pairwise rankings. Yeah, well, obviously going to Vegas was super fun, and I don't think that we're going to do it again. We definitely wanted to make the most of it. Um, hockey-wise, that was a big test for our team because we know what we can do. We know how good we are. But, you know, we play in the ECA, so you don't get that many opportunities to branch out and play those WCHA teams who are, you know, kind of revered and to prove yourself in that way. Obviously, last year we had uh, our game in the Frozen Four against Ohio State, and you know, we thought we put up a good fight and showed what we could do, but that was our only chance to play one of those WCHA teams. So going into Vegas and even we were even looking to Vegas last year. We were super excited and obviously hoped to get Minnesota in the second game, which we did. Um, and we kind of looked at that as a game to solidify ourselves as one of the top teams and prove that, you know, the ECAC is a great league and is capable, is comparable to 
the WCHA. So I think we proved it to ourselves. I think we proved it to the country. Um, and that was just a super fun weekend, especially just the vibes in Vegas were pretty awesome. Yeah, we missed you in the Nutmeg Classic uh, this year. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see you again next year. It's weird not having you there. Yeah. But um, what did you guys do in Vegas? I saw that you guys went to a Golden Knights game. Did you guys get to do anything else, like, when you were there? I know you probably don't have too much time because you're obviously there for hockey, but I'm curious if um, if um, what you, if you got to do anything fun when you were down there. Yeah, we went to the Knights game, which was super fun. I think the other three teams went as well. Um, and then we walked around the Strip for a little bit. Nothing too crazy, obviously, because we had a game the next day, but got to see the sights. We walked around, like, I don't know, they have Italy and – New York, and we just kind of walked around, and then obviously Friday was game day, so we're focused on the game. We didn't do much else, and then, oh, well, we had Thanksgiving dinner at the hotel, so a lot of parents were able to join, and that was a nice uh, thing that the opportunity that the parents were able to have that team dinner with us, Um, and then on Saturday after we won, we kind of were able to go off and do our own thing with our families. Uh, so a lot of people had parents there, brothers, sisters, uh, my dad and my brother were there. So we went to the casinos. I watched my brother gamble for a little bit. Um, and then we had a flight back in the morning and that was like a 13 hour travel day. It was kind of crazy. So it's, it flew by even though we were there for a while. Yeah. Did you have any, uh, flight problems? Cause I heard that BU was stuck in the airport for the entire day. I saw that. I feel like, I feel like we can't actually complain because of how bad theirs was, but. We had some delays on our first leg of the trip. We had a connection in Florida, but luckily our connection was like we just stayed on the plane. Like that was the connecting flight. So even though it was delayed on the first leg, it didn't matter for catching the next flight. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think it's weird because most people don't realize that college you have to like take these like actual like flights. It's not like in pro where you take like the nice private plane and it's all taken care of for you. So that's something that I feel like a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, it's definitely not a chartered private jet, at least for us. I know that uh, Minnesota left right after their game on Saturday on their plane and picked up their men's team. So it's different for everyone, but it wasn't too bad. We all like spending time with each other anyways. And then we had a lot of homework to do. So that was one of the main activities on the plane. Yeah. Did you get to gamble yourself or you're not old enough yet? Um, I'm 21, so I am able to. My dad and I sat at these like kiosk things that had one dollar blackjack. I'm not a big gambler. I don't know. If it stresses me out. Gives me anxiety. So we did, but low stakes. Yeah, no, that's probably what I would do because I'll probably lose all my money if I um decide to go out all out in that. But no, yeah, one of the and obviously actually- I want to ask you about the Minnesota game because you were talking about like sort of that mentality. Just talk about that game from your perspective because. I think a lot of people didn't expect you guys to win that game if you were talking about having that mindset of trying to prove people wrong because if I'm not mistaken, Minnesota was number one in the country at the time of that game. So talk about what it was like playing that that team and what's the main difference you noticed between top ECAC teams versus top WCHA teams? Okay, uh, yeah. Going into that game, we knew it was going to be a statement game one way or the other. Uh, People were going to have a lot to say. And, you know, we prepared – Obviously, like I said, we were looking forward to this game for so long, so we kind of had been preparing for that game for a long time. Um, And, you know, first shift out, like, you could definitely sense the high pace. We hadn't had that type of pace yet that year. Um, I think a main difference, mm, I don't know, both, both leagues are physical. I wouldn't say that there was a huge difference in the type of play necessarily or at least from my standpoint there wasn't uh you got the sense they were trying to shoot a lot obviously they're super fast super strong but you get that in the ECAC as well and there's a lot of top players who are in the rivalry series right now in both leagues so I didn't notice too much of a difference but the game was obviously high scoring in the first period that was where we scored all four of our goals um or did we score in the second I'm not sure but we got at least three out of the four in the first period so going into the locker room after that, you know, we had to really calm ourselves because it was a lot of excitement. There was two goals in the last, like, two minutes. Um, so we had to really center ourselves and be like, all right, focus on the next period, winning the next period, winning the next shift. Um, because in those type of games, you know, emotions can get high. You can get super excited, and that's where mistakes happen. So you want to be excited but also just play your game and play it like any other game, even though we know that 
it meant a lot to us. Yeah, no, that was definitely, I couldn't watch the game because I don't know what, I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, so I apologize for that. Um, usually if it's not an ESPN Plus or a Big Ten Network, it's hard for me to find some of these games where they get streamed. But uh, just following on Twitter, it seemed like a very exciting game. So I'm um, definitely in seeing the highlights, too. It was pretty fun seeing the skill that your team has because I think a lot of people sort of underrate that aspect of your team, that you have a lot of, like, talented players because people obviously focus on some of the high-end players on other teams. But it seems like you guys have a lot of high-end players that most people don't really um, talk about compared to some of the other teams that the ones have yeah um I would agree with that I think it just goes back to the underestimating us um you know our team uh plays for each other and I think that it's great that we don't care about that individual recognition because you're you're gonna get it or you're not but you can't control that so we just control what we can and in practice every day I mean yeah our team is very skilled and should be recognized for that but I think it's also important to note that even our top skill players play like all out grind. Um, Mm -hmm. They're willing to put in the work in the D zone and in the neutral zone. Like they're not just floating up at the blue line waiting to make plays. It really starts. We play a 200 foot game. So it's nice to see that from your skill players because that definitely trickles down. I will say, I do think you have the best goalie in the ECAC. Uh, She's awesome. Best goalie in the country, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it's just like so you make some incredible saves. Um, and I, I, how what was it like? What's it like playing with Pia? Because of just doing research on her, she's from Slovenia. It seems like so. Is that like a weird transition for someone coming from Europe to USA college hockey, especially since there might be a language barrier? And what's it like being being her teammate? Because she really stands out to me whenever I yeah. watch her games. Well, we love Pia. Like even if she wasn't a good goalie, she's one of the best teammates. We love her. She's so competitive also super funny and super smart so there's not really a barrier at all she's like I said very smart we have a lot of Europeans on our team we have a German obviously a Slovenian a Russian so we're no strangers to the multinational team makeup um but yeah they all speak great English um definitely understand everything that's going on and P is hilarious and I think we just appreciate how competitive she is when she t- steps on the ice, and we trust her in that as well as off the ice. Do they ever get to? Do they ever chirp other players in their native languages? Because I feel like that's what I would do if um, people if people didn't speak English if I was playing in another country. <laughs> Actually, no. Our team isn't big on the chirping, trash talking. It's not. I don't know. Yeah. It's not really something that we do, but that would be funny. No, that's good. That's a good mindset to have. Let your play talk for you instead of yeah. uh, letting it, letting yourself talk, I guess. So I like that mindset a lot. That's how I played. Yeah. Speaks now, for itself, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, like, you can talk all you want, but if you're not going to back it up, then, like, what's the point of doing <laughs> that? Yeah. Now, I do want to get into your career a little bit. Um, so doing research on yourself, um, you're from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, so talk about growing up there and how did you start playing hockey? I assume it's from your parents because the elite prospect page was pretty crazy. It said you had a father who played pro hockey for like over 15 years. Your brother played for Harvard. And I thought his story was pretty cool. He went from club hockey to the Division One team, so that's pretty sick. And then you have a sister that plays for LIU. So talk about growing up in a hockey family and how did you get involved uh, with the sport yourself? Yeah, well, I was in skates as soon as I could walk. Uh Obviously, hockey was a big part of my dad's life. He grew up playing hockey, and so he just put us in skates right away. Uh, and then it kind of just – I love for the game blossomed from there. Um, all four of my – I have three siblings. All four of us play. My younger brother plays for his high school. And then, obviously, yes, my older brother followed my dad's path and went to Harvard. My dad played pro. So the hockey connections run deep. My sister couldn't escape it. She played tennis actually for four years and then went to grad school to play hockey because she missed it. Um, so yeah, hockey has obviously, obviously been a huge part of my life. I grew up around the rink, in the rink. I was definitely a rink rat, uh, doing my homework, watching my brother's practices, practicing with my sister's team. And then my dad was my coach all my whole life through high school. I played boys until I was 16 and then transitioned to the girls game and my dad came with me as a coach. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my story. 
That's awesome. And who was your favorite player growing up? I assume it's someone on the Red Wings, or was it a women's player on the national team? Uh, no, it's Pavel Datsuk for sure. I my dad just always compared me to him because of his 200 foot play, and so I looked up to him as a role model of the type of style game that I wanted to play. Um, but now I would say my has my favorite player has to be Crosby. Yeah, Which might be controversial, but I don't know. I feel like as an American, it's a little controversial just because he uh, beat us in the 2010 Olympics. So it's 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 hard to like swallow that, but he is a great player, and I feel like uh, just how how he's still playing at such a high level at like 36 years old is pretty unbelievable. I would say that's the main thing for me is just his ability to maintain his eliteness through years, and all these new younger guys are coming in, and he just adapts and evolves with the game. It's still playing amazing. <laughs> What's it like? Um, so I have to ask you, obviously you go to Yale, your dad played for Harvard. Um, what was his reaction when you found out you were going to the rival school? They're super supportive. I, that's obviously everyone's favorite question to ask me. Um, but, you know, they wanted me to go where I wanted to go. Growing up, I always thought I was going to go to Harvard because my parents met, my brother went there. I don't know. It just seems like that path was going to be there for me. But then they are the ones who actually were like, keep an open mind, go on your visits, check out the other schools. Like, you don't know that that's where you want to go. Um, and I really appreciate that they kind of opened my eyes to branching out and looking elsewhere just to make sure that I was making the right choice. Obviously, where you go to college is a big decision. And then everything just kind of lined up for me at Yale. It had the same thing as Harvard academically, so that was one of my major points, but I wasn't sacrificing anything on that end. And I, I saw a program that I was really looking forward to help build, um, and that was a big selling point for me. I wanted to be able to be an impact player and see the arc of a program who historically wasn't great, but I saw that the pieces were there and wanted to be one of those pieces that really turned the program around. And I thought Yale had the best opportunity, and my parents were super supportive. I went down in the basement one day, committed, came up, told them, and they were like, wow, we're so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome uh what piece, when did you like what what were some of the pieces that made you realize Yale was sort of on the upswing because I feel like a lot of it's hard for a lot of like people to realize that I'm assuming it's probably the coaching staff and just some of the recruits that they're bringing in yeah um at the time Rob Morgan who isn't at Yale anymore was the one recruiting me and I think he just did a great job selling it he was like you're gonna come in you right away are going to be able to make an impact which was a big deal for me. I didn't want to go somewhere where I kind of had to work my way up through the years. I wanted to be able to come in and make an impact right away. So that was one of his major selling points. And he was talking to me about, you know, the pieces like Claire, Charlotte, Emma Seitz, some other girls um, that were also going to be there. I actually committed my freshman year. Sorry, my dog. Um, it's all good. So – I didn't. I couldn't see every piece that was there, but I saw a program that wanted to turn it around, and obviously we have. And then I came in with Mark Holding, and his first year was my first year, so it's been nice growing with him. And before college hockey, it said that you played for Bell Tire and Little Caesars, and it seems to me like a lot of the top Michigan hockey players play for those two teams. So talk about how you got the opportunity to go there, and what was your experience like there, and how did it help prepare you for college hockey with Yale? Yeah, so like I said, I played boys until I was 16, which I think was um, critical to my development as a player. I think I learned how it's just a different game, so you can develop some different pieces. But then by the time you're 16, you know, bodies are getting big, boys are hitting pretty hard, so it was time to make that switch. Um, and I ended up at Little Caesars because of my older sister. I wanted to play with her, and that's where she was. So kind of just followed her there, and my dad was the coach as well. Um, so I played 19s there for a year, and then she graduated, and it was kind of time to make a decision for myself. Like, that was kind of set out for me, that path. But then once she graduated, I obviously had the opportunity to, again, pick where I would want to play. And my coach at Bell Tire, Mark, Mike Vigilante, um, was awesome, and I talked to him before, you know, deciding. And I thought that that would be the right fit. So went over there and tried out and made the team and then had two years there. 
And obviously, you're playing against some really tough travel teams um, when you're playing for Bell Tire and Little Caesars. So how does it prepare you for college hockey? I'm curious because obviously you can't translate some things to college hockey, but I guess playing against those elite players every um, weekend or every game that you have definitely helps prepare you in regards to some of the skill level that you face um, in the ECAC and non-conference games as well. I think something that's similar, um, at least personally, is I'm a very competitive person. I want to be the best. So playing all of those travel teams in high school, like I would sort of go into those games and like know who the people were that were talked about. And so it's sort of similar to the UCAC where like each team had these elite caliber players who I just wanted to prove myself against. Um, so that was similar. And again, not too many easy games. Um, so I think the preparation of consistency and having to be consistent game in game out is probably the biggest factor that is carried through to college because you can't take a game off and consistency is key to playing at the elite level what was the biggest adjustment you had to make to college hockey was it uh just the decision making because obviously the game's much faster is it the physicality because obviously you're playing against much older players and i feel like people underrate the physicality of women's hockey because even there isn't technically body checking i feel like those four battles are pretty intense to watch so uh, what was like the something that you had to uh, learn how to adjust to once you arrived at yale a big difference is that we show up to games two hours early and so freshman year i was struggling with what to do with that time and then i kind of had a conversation with my mom about how important it is to have a routine and so sophomore year i really nailed that down i tape all three of my sticks i drink my electrolytes. I just have my specific things that I do, and I think that helps regulate every game um, and helps me to approach every game the exact same way. And I think that has been a major change from high school where you would show up to the game maybe an hour early and then kind of just walk around the ring, you know, watch other games. So that's, that's a major difference for sure. Now, in your freshman year, your team lost to Harvard in the ECAC playoffs. Um, talk about your freshman year, what you learned from that, and how do you think that ECAC playoff loss against Harvard helped your team uh, for your sophomore and junior year? Because I feel like it was such a hard-fought series that you probably learned a lot uh, from that loss. Yeah, so I had actually broken my leg um, the weekend prior, so I was in the stands for that series. But I think that the most important part of that series wasn't that we lost, but it was that we got the experience in the playoffs. Um, the year before, they hadn't made the playoffs. Um, I don't know if anyone on that team had been in a playoff situation. So then going into last year, we weren't strangers to a pressurized situation. Those games in that series went into like triple overtime. So can't really get more pressure than that. And I think, yeah, it's just building that um, been there before attitude. And obviously, what did you learn from your freshman year? Because it seemed like you had it was sort of it seemed like to me it was like an up and down season for your team. But I feel like you know you learned a lot from those losses that you had and those wins that you had. And I feel like that season uh, really taught your team what it took to uh, be a successful team in the ECAC. Yeah, um, I think the most important part of my freshman season was transforming our team's mindset into believing that we could win and would win and were competent and capable of being a great team. I think coming in, the mindset was more of like, oh, like, you know, we're middle of the pack and that's where we are. And Mark, Coach Mark, has done just an amazing job of flipping that narrative and saying, you guys have what it takes, but it's all about the mindset and believing that you can win. And so freshman year, we did get those wins. And obviously not as big as last year, but enough to set the foundation for believing that, you know, we were a winning team and a great team. And then obviously the uh, few months after that playoff series happened, COVID hit and sort of changed uh, a lot of things, especially in college hockey. Um, I guess when did you find out you weren't going to play college hockey? And I'm curious what led you to go to Slovakia and play pro there. Um, yeah, when COVID hit, obviously things were super up in the air, but then it became clear that Ivies were not going to have a season. Um, and different teams responded differently, but the majority of our team decided, you know what, let's take this year off because like I said, we had momentum from the year before and we knew how good we were going to be and we didn't want to 
give up one of those years. Um, so most of us took the year off. And obviously, I, w- I didn't want to go a year without, you know, getting better playing. So I had to figure something out. And the Slovakia opportunity kind of just fell into my lap. My mom had been in, my mom and my grandma had been in communication with um, the Slovak national team because my grandparents are from there and my mom is Slovakian. And it just seemed like an awesome opportunity. Like you don't get a just year, a pause in your life. You know, usually you're school, 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 work. Like you don't just get a year to kind of do whatever you want. So we all thought that it was the best decision to go over there um, culturally and hockey-wise. I was on the ice every day, but I also got to see where my grandparents grew up, and that was definitely a cool bonding moment. And then hockey-wise, it was awesome. I definitely got a lot better and was able to play in a time when ice was hard to find. Yeah, and uh, what was like some of the adjustments you had to make to European hockey? Because obviously they have a much bigger ice surface. Um, and just was there a language barrier uh, for yourself? I know we were talking about that with some of your teammates, but uh, was it sort of weird to like try to communicate to someone in Slovak instead of English? Yes, there was a major language barrier for me. I think it's different for Europeans coming to the States. I think they have a pretty good English foundation, but I have zero Slovak language background. I mean, my grandparents speak it sometimes, but I never know what they're saying. So that was the biggest barrier for me, for sure. My coaches didn't speak English that well. Um, I had a few te- – my one roommate is actually from Chicago, but and she was fluent. So she was kind of my translator going over there. So I actually don't know if I could have done it without her. And then, you know, my teammates were able to speak English well enough, and I have great relationships who with people that I'm still friends with, still talk to, still FaceTime. So – they were super understanding and considerate in trying to bond with me. And so that was good. But hockey wise with my coach, there's definitely a language barrier, um, which kind of forced me to grow up and be my own um, coach in a sense and really reflect on games and analyze what I was doing. And I think it only helped me actually in the long run of being able to making game adjustments personally instead of relying on a coach to tell me everything to do. Um, and then hockey-wise, I would say the difference is it's less physical over there. So I had a little more time with the puck, and it helped me realize that, you know, you got to take it to the net. I think sometimes, a lot of times, we forget to just shoot the puck. And because it was a little less physical and I had a little more time, it was – I was able to kind of curate that mindset of take it to the net without like getting hit while I was doing it. Yeah. And I, I do want to ask you this because I'm, I was generally curious, how does that work with NCAA rules? Because technically it's like a pro league and I don't know like how that works with the whole money situation and all those. How did that, how'd you make that work? Yeah, I wasn't getting paid our team. Like some teams in that league were professional status, but our team isn't. No one on that team got paid. So it was still amateur hockey. Okay. Okay. That's cool. And with eligibility, obviously, since you technically, I know everyone who played in that COVID year has an extra year of eligibility. Do you still have that extra year of eligibility or since, since you uh, didn't uh, technically play, you don't have that? Yeah. Unfortunately, Ivies have just a very different set of rules than kind of the rest of the teams. So we don't get that extra year because we did take the year off. And had we not taken the year off, we would have had a year, but we wouldn't have had it at Yale. And I yeah. think it was super important to us to keep our team together as opposed to then scattering for all of our last years. Especially since the transfer portal is, like, super competitive than it ever was. Yeah. Uh, we just knew what a good group we had and didn't want to have to mm-hmm. displace ourselves in our last year. Um, but, yeah, we don't get the year back. Just Just the four years. And obviously you had such an amazing jump from your freshman year to your sophomore year. Uh, so talk about like the improvements that you made to your game that led to that jump. And do you think playing um, in Europe helped lead to that the success that you had your sophomore year? I think that playing in Europe was like paramount to my success. Um, like I said, it was, it really forced me to analyze my game and figure out what I wanted to work on. And I had this year of like, no pressure kind of just in the sense of again it was 
not a roadmap laid out for me. Like it just kind of fell into my lap and I was able to play around with my game and work on my game without school or anything. Like it was pretty much, I was just playing hockey the whole year, um, which doesn't hurt. And going back, I think the main difference is my consistency was my consistency game in and game out. Freshman year, I definitely had some lags in play where it was just hard for me to get up for every game. Um, and I think that was the biggest change for me. And I think that just came with growing up, maturing, realizing that I needed to be consistent. Yeah, I think a lot of players felt that way, too, because it, I feel like maybe before the pandemic started, people took a lot of things for granted. But I think once that all t- got taken away from us, um, once it started, it sort of made people realize, like, like this could be my last game before everything shuts down. So you need to sort of, like, um, just not take it for granted and enjoy um, that game as best you can and uh, try to play your best. Oh, for sure. I think that, you know, COVID hitting obviously threw everyone for a loop. And then when we got back, we were just so excited to play. That love for the game that starts when you're, you know, two putting the skates on was just, you do realize it's not going to last forever. And so we just brought that love back to the game. And it was pretty good. Yeah, and obviously let's talk a little bit about that historic season you had last year, making it all the way to the Frozen Four. Um, I'm curious, at what point did you realize your team was capable of um, making it to the Frozen Four? Was it like in the early part of the season, or was it once you guys arrived on campus and started practicing? Sorry, you cut out a bit, but I think I heard... Oh, it's just so uh, at what point during the season did you uh, realize your team was capable of making the Frozen Four? Was it um, during the early stages of the regular season or was it once you guys arrived on campus and started practicing? It was immediate. We came back to school after that year off and we just knew how good we could and would be. Um, <laughs> it's pretty funny because the first day of practice, our coach walked in there and our preseason ranking for the ECAC was eighth. <laughs> the ECAC. And that was kind of just a slap to the face for us. We had finished fifth the, the year prior and just like going back to that doubt that everyone had about us. But we knew, and that's really all that matters. And we used that chip to fuel our fire and prove everyone wrong. But we knew immediately, I think that the rest of the world thought it could happen by like the second half of these of the year. I think they were still waiting for that other shoe to drop or other shoe to fall, whatever the saying is, but it never did. Now in the ECAC tournament, your team made it all the way to the championship game, but you guys lost to Colgate. I'm curious, what was your team's mindset um, heading in to that game? And I guess, how did you use that game um, in the tournament? Because I find it kind of funny that you played uh, Colgate um, the, the, the next game um, in the first round of the tournament, but just talk about that loss in the ECAC championship game and how it like how you use that game to head, uh, feel your mindset heading into yeah. um, the following tournament game. Well, I remember I was devastated. Uh, we all wanted to win so bad. And at the time, on that Saturday after we lost in overtime, heartbreaking loss, um, I actually was just, like, crying. I was super upset. And I remember my older brother called me. And I was talking to him, and obviously, you know, he's had so much competitive experience. He was at Harvard. He understands. And he – knew that it was going to shake out that we were going to play them the next week. And he was like, would you rather win this game or would you rather make the Frozen Four? And obviously no one wants to make a trade-off. You'd prefer to win both. But he made a good point, and I think that that was a similar mindset to everyone else. We were like, okay, this game is done. We lost, but we get another chance at them. And I think you see it all the time in sports where, like, when you get another crack at a team who just, like, had a made you have a heartbreaking loss, you have that extra fire to beat them. So I don't know. We might have beat them anyways had we won in the game before, but I do think it played a major role in how well we played and how badly we wanted that uh, Frozen Four game. Do you think uh, losing the ECAC championship at Yale helped that mindset as well? Because then you wanted to go to Colgate and said, no, if you're going to take the championship trophy away at our house, we're going to make you not make the Frozen Four at, at your place. Yeah, for sure. I don't know, like I said, had we won, maybe we would have won the next game as well, but I don't think that same, like, pardon my French, fuck you attitude would have mm-hmm. been there. Um, And so it was pretty storybook getting to go to their barn 
and beat them in overtime um, was, yeah, you couldn't have written it any better, really. <laughs> yeah, talk about w- winning that game in overtime and what it meant to your team making it to the Frozen Four. Um, because I, if, I think a lot of people could sort of consider that game a, an upset um, in regards to some of the other stuff that happened. So what was your, like, emotion, I guess, when that overtime goal was scored? And, um, yeah, talk about that. What you, what, just talk about what you remember from that game. Yeah, I think your point about people thinking that was an upset was another factor that just, again, was like a slap to the face. And we just wanted to prove to everyone that we really could do it. And we saw making the Frozen Four as that statement. So it was obviously a high-stakes game. And I think you could just see how much it meant to us um, in the still shot photos that we have from that goal. Uh, We were all jumping in the air. I think we celebrated for an excessive amount of time. Um, we had our athletic director there who came into the locker room and was like so excited. Our coach came in, was amped up. I I mean, I've never been a part of something so exciting and yeah, the emotion shows in those, in that celebration and in those pictures for sure. Well, we, I did a podcast, um, before the tournament happened and I said Colgate was going to win that game. So you can, um, uh, yell at me for uh, proving me wrong in that. So you we can put won me on the three list. out of four games against them that year, <laughs> last year. I don't know. I just thought they were on a bit of a run that time. So I was like, yeah. I, I usually try to go with the teams that have seemed like they have the hot hand because it seemed like that. Yeah. That's usually what I prefer. But no, you proved me wrong. So you can uh, you can knock them all of them. You you took the safe pick because they were ranked ahead of us. I will say though that I'm definitely gonna remember that for uh, the tournament this year. That's all I'll say. Um, obviously, there's still a lot to uh, shake out before um, that happens, but yeah. I will remember that though. That's all I'll say. But what was your Frozen Four experience like off the ice with the red carpet and all that stuff? Because Penn State did an amazing job hosting that, and yeah. it seemed like it was a great event. Um, just taking all the hockey stuff away from it. Yeah, I can't speak to how other teams who have been in that situation before, I don't know if they kind of get complacent or think it's less cool, but for us, it was unbelievable. Uh, we were taking pictures of everything. It wasn't, I mean, you hear that, that attitude of like, act like you've been there before, but we did not have that attitude at all. We were like, this is really awesome. And we are gonna celebrate it. And, you know, it is our first time and that's nothing to be ashamed of. So we definitely soaked it all in and it was, Penn State did an amazing job. It was so cool, um, especially with the COVID restrictions that were still going on. I think they managed really well. Now, you played that game against Ohio State. Unfortunately, your team lost, but what did you take away from your Frozen Four game that you played against Ohio State? And I, I, I know this might sound like a bad attitude, but it must feel nice that you lost to the team that ended up winning the whole thing oh, at the end of the day. Completely agree. Like, you want to you wanna lose to the team who wins at that point. Um, yeah, obviously that game was sad in the sense of that was our last time playing with those seniors who we just got super close with because of COVID and everything. So it was sad to see them. It was a bit bittersweet to see them go, but I think on the whole, we weren't as heartbroken as the Colgate loss just because our season had been great. Obviously it sucks to lose, but we knew that we would just keep that momentum into this year. and. Of course, we wanted to win, but it was pretty promising and encouraging just how well the season had gone. So we didn't look at the game in a vacuum. Um, You know, we gave them a good game. It was 2-1. It wasn't, again, it proved that ECAC can contend with WCHA. Mm -hmm. It proved that Yale could contend with WCHA. And that game was definitely a precursor to the Minnesota game this year. So we're now in a segment I like to call the non-hockey segment, where I ask you some non-hockey questions just to get to, to know you and your teammates more off the ice. First one right. is, what music are you do you like to listen to? Before games or just in general? Uh, just in general. I have a mixed bag. I actually listen to everything, rap, pop, country. It really just depends on the day. I am our team's DJ. so That's a tough job to- because you don't want to – you have to please everybody. It is a tough job, and it is hard to please a team of 31 people. But, you know, I was the DJ back in high school, too, so I'm pretty used to it, and I like it. It's pretty fun. Um, You kind of have to read the vibes of the team and then make your decision from there. Sometimes we do big booty mix. Sometimes we'll do country. Sometimes we'll do rap. You just kind of have to play it by ear. 
Yeah, I'm I'm sort of the same way. I like I, like I can listen to Frank Sinatra country music yeah. and a rap song like all in a row. Uh, yeah, yeah. people. I think some people would find that very weird, but that's just normal to me. You know, I think it just eliminates monotony. Like no one wants to hear the same song every day. You yeah, I don't know how people listen to the same stuff every day. That's yeah. weird to me, but. You know what? I'll let them have their uh, choice of music if they can respect mine, so. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, since we are recording this around Christmas time, I have to ask, what's your uh, favorite Christmas song? What's your least favorite one? My favorite one is You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch by Tyler, the Creator. Um, it, He wrote it for the Grinch, but I we love that song. We play it in the locker room all the time. And then my least favorite, I don't have, like, a specific one. I just don't like the slow Christmas songs. Oh, I like the like the Frank Sinatra like classic Christmas songs like Nat King Cole. Those like bring out like like the Christmas vibes to me because that's what I remember listening to as a kid. So maybe it's yeah. a little nostalgic. I mean, I like most Christmas songs. Claire, our captain, has a car at school, so we've been driving around and listening to Christmas music for a month. So yeah. we like most of it. I don't know. I guess if I had to pick a least favorite, that would be those. Yeah, I think my uh, favorite one's definitely Last Christmas. That's definitely a jam. And then my least uh, favorite one is. I'm a huge Beatles fan, but Paul McCartney's Christmas song, Wonderful Christmas Time, is not that best. I think it's just, it just sort of seems like a lazy song, but um, kudos to him because he makes a ton of money off of it uh, today. So true. Also got to give a shout out to Justin Bieber's Christmas album. That one is pretty good. Yeah, that's a good one, too. I, I prefer more, I don't actually prefer um, the non-Christmas music from him, though. That's that's I mean, what I yeah, get to. Drummer Boy was, uh, was top, top tier. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, let's talk about your teammates a little bit. Who has the best style on Yale women's hockey? Besides yourself, obviously, but who would you put as number two? You said best style? Yeah, who has the best style off, um, on the Yale women's hockey team? Um, who's walking in looking the best? Obviously, you are the, have the best style on the team, but besides yourself, um, who, who would you say? Um, God, a lot of people dress really well during game days, but I would have to give the title to Caitlin Rippon with a citation to Tiana. Um, Caitlin always looks put together. She was like, her closet was built for game days. Um, and she knows how to put those clothes together. And then Tiana also always looks great. So I would say those two at the top. Who's the funniest teammate you have at Yale? Uh, I would have to say Claire Dalton is the funniest. She is, like, unintentionally super funny, or you wouldn't expect it from her, which is what makes it so much more funny. And then last teammate question, who is the most interesting teammate? Like, who's someone that, like, I want to know more about you, but you're sort of, you're too quiet. Huh. Um, we know each other pretty well, which is why this is a tough question. Um, Yeah. Well, who would I find interesting? Like, I'll be like, wow, like, I wouldn't know that about you, I guess. Someone who's not on the team. Um, Kate Shaughnessy has a very interesting story. She has battled some serious illnesses and came out on top. So I would say her story is definitely the most interesting. Now, speaking of interesting, what's the most interesting thing you've seen or read this week? Huh? Well, like I said, I was working on finals. So right now my brain is all centered on term limits in the Supreme Court, which is not what you want to hear about. So I would have to say also the World Cup. Yeah, that's what my answer was going to be. I thought that was a crazy game. It was good. I'm a Cristiano Ronaldo fan, but I was uh, happy to see Messi finally win his first World Cup. And it was, seemed like Argentina was going to roll through that game, but kudos to France for sort of scoring those two goals like in a minute and then making that just a crazy game to watch. It was and like a hockey game back and forth. It was like chance on this end, chance on this end. It was insane. I've never seen a soccer game that – action-packed in my life, and, yeah, I'm happy that Messi won, too. Yeah, I love the PKs, too. I know people, like, were complaining about it, but I think the drama of it is so much fun to watch, and, frankly, this might be a hot take, but at some point, hockey should, like, if you're not going to, if you can't score in two overtimes, you should sort of have a shootout, because at some point, I feel like someone's, you got to end the game at some point, but that might be a hot take. I've played soccer my whole life, so I definitely understand the pressure of a PK situation. I've missed one in my life. So, or not only one, but in a big game. So I do get the pressure standpoint, but it just is hard to swallow such, I mean, they worked hard for 120 minutes and then the game's decided on PKs. 
Like, I don't know. Is that the best team winning? So I don't know that they could keep playing. Like, I think the only way to do it is PKs. Like, they can't just mm-hmm. continue to play and play and play. Like, soccer is such a grueling sport. But it is kind of sad to see 120 minutes of a game and then it's decided. Yeah, no, I understand that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 maybe because I'm sort of a newer soccer fan, I, I enjoyed a lot. But, no, I, I, it was definitely a fun tournament. It sucks that the World Cup's over. Um, I know. But that means clubs, football is back, or soccer is back, <laughs> which I'm looking forward to. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be hosting the U.S. in 2026, so I'll definitely try to go out to one of those games I'm looking that, forward to. Yeah. yeah, I did not know that. Where is it going to be? Um, so it's U.S., Canada, and Mexico are hosting it, and I think Gillette Stadium is the closest one, at least where I live. Um, but I think um, Kansas City's hosting it. I don't know who else. I I, I saw the host cities um, recently, but it's like it's across like different NFL stadiums um, okay. in the U.S. Yeah, I mean you got to wait four years, but that'll be fun. Oh yeah, I'm definitely excited though. Uh, and hopefully the U.S. will um, do much better than they did this one. Uh, one can hope. <laughs> <laughs> now, last non-hockey question is, um, what is your biggest pet peeve? Oh. Um, huh. I would say a uh, cliche, but chewing with your mouth open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just close your mouth. <laughs> I agree, I agree. Now, back to some hockey questions now. First one is, uh, what advice would you give younger people that are listening to this on what it takes to make it to the Division One level where you are today? Um, I would say don't put too much pressure on yourself to just have fun. Like, I think that success comes from a love. Um, so just make sure that you love what you're doing and have fun. And I think that the rest comes after that because that'll make you want to work hard and work towards your goal. Um, and also just staying persistent. Not everyone or no one has a perfectly laid out plan where they're never rejected. So even if you encounter some roadblocks, I would say just keep pushing through them. Now, what would you do to help grow women's hockey in your opinion? I think in the college level, it's doing a better job, like giving more people exposure and hopefully that continues as well. But I'm curious, but from your perspective, what do you think it needs to be done to help grow the sport? Yeah, well, I think it's great that you have a podcast that you bring awareness to the women's game um I think it's awesome what you're doing and then I also think that the professional leagues need to find a way to merge I don't Mm -hmm. think that we can keep going on a path of two different leagues because obviously viewership is small as it is and you need to concentrate those into one league so I don't think having like some of the best players here and some of the best players here is conducive to growing the game yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It's like kind of sad to see like the talent pool getting diluted because when a t- elite college hockey player graduates from college, they have so many different options of where they can play pro hockey. And it would just be nice if there was like one professional league where they can just go to, like sort of like the WNBA, but for right. women's hockey. I agree. And it would just be cool to see like Hillary Knight and like Sarah Nurse on the same team versus like Poulin and I don't know, someone else from the U.S. team on the same team, and that's a good way to market it as well versus, like, these showcases events that they have. I feel like it's easier just to market, like, an actual team versus another team competing for a championship trophy. Yes. I think, obviously, most other sports have a concentrated league, so I don't know why women's sports wouldn't. Um, and you also see people leaving to Europe after they graduate because the leagues here are so diluted and Mm-hmm. Separated. Uh, I think it needs to become a central market. But I also, I don't know if you saw this, but I think the salary cap for next year um, was raised to 1.5 million. In which league was that? Ah, uh, the PHF. Yeah. So that's that should help. Yeah, I hope that. Like I said, this any good news is good news for women's hockey to help it grow. But I do agree with you. At some point, they need to figure out a way. And I know I've talked to some like elite players, and they said that. I think it it takes time for the stuff to actually work out because they want it to be, like, um, sustainable for a long period of time. They just don't want to create a league and then have it not work after five years. So I hope that time comes soon. I'm obviously very impatient, but I'm (laughs) confident that those players will figure out something in the near future. Yeah, I hope that it comes sooner rather than later. Now, for all the Yale fans that are listening to this podcast, any message you have to them about the rest of the season? 
Uh, I think we're just going to keep pushing forward. I think we're super excited to head into the second half um, and bring it home. We obviously have Duluth in our sights. Um, hope to be back to the Frozen Four and hopefully win it this year. So that's obviously the goal we have, and I think it's very attainable. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, before we let you go, L, I just want to ask if you have any shout-outs you want to give uh, to any of your family members or teammates, former teammates, anyone in particular that might be listening to this, or you can plug something in. Uh, the floor is all yours to say whatever <laughs> you like. Um. I guess just for the sake of a shout-out, I would give it to my dad because, like I said, he was my coach all these years, and, I mean, my success wouldn't be possible without him. And then, obviously, Coach Bolding deserves all the shout-outs in the world. He was Coach of the Year last year. I'm sure he'll be Coach of the Year again. Uh, what he's doing with our program is amazing. And I just want to shout-out Yale Women's Hockey in general. I think everyone is amazing. And – to recruits looking for where to go, pick Yale. Yeah, definitely. I'm neutral, so I, I I'll just let you uh, let you. Uh, I think the success you guys have are having speaks for itself in regards to recruiting. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I think success breeds more success in the sense of it's going to help us get those high caliber recruits that were maybe harder to get in the past. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm excited to see, even once I'm gone, where this team can go. Well, thank you so much, Al, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. It means so much uh, to myself. Um, we It's harder to get the Ivy League players on, obviously, when it's not winter break. So I appreciate you taking time yeah. and coming on. I It really means a lot to myself. And I wish you and your team nothing but the best for the rest of the season. I know you're going to do great. And take care and stay safe. And once again, thank you so much uh, for coming on. I really do appreciate your time. Well, thank you for running this podcast and everything that you're doing. I think it's awesome, and I was happy to come on, and thank you for asking me. Oh, oh, oh. You wanna fall in love? You get-